Welcome to the Anti-Woke Podcast. Let's do a jokey preview of this week's episode. Republicans made a Christmas list saying, we want an extra trillion dollars to go to the rich every year. And it went to the North Pole and they waited. They were good little boys. And then Christmas Eve came and down the chimney came Joe Biden. And he said, little boy, one trillion? How about two trillion? I'd rather be stabbed in the heart than put another black person in prison. Oh, oh, we can make that happen. Why did Southern Democrats oppose the New Deal? Well, it's states' rights, baby. We should decide how we get to treat black people. Because we're going to treat them real nice. That's a totally real picture of Obama wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Nothing to do with AI. When you were a little boy, did you bite your toast into the shape of a gun? Or were you a little girl, and you smushed your mashed potatoes into the shape of a baby, and you took care of it? This is NPR Politics, covering everything from Trump derangement syndrome to slump sclerangement hindrome. Israel and the Palestinians are at war again. They're doing it on Saturday, and I published my podcast on Sunday, so no deep dive. But recap, starting in 1880, the Palestinians were a bunch of ultra-ignorant sheep herders. The Jews in Europe were the smartest, most motivated people on the planet. The Jews took the Palestinians' land, and that's Israel. That'll make it right. In fact, it's wrong. But if you give Israel back to the Palestinians, they will just turn on themselves and start you know, chopping each other up with machetes or whatever. I guess they got guns. So possibly the best solution to that past injustice is, you know, a hundred or maybe a few hundred people need to die every year on average over that. Something bad, you know, a wrong in the past means a wrong today. And Hamas controls Gaza. They attacked Israel by land, by sea, and by air. They had paragliders, which is like a gas, little, you know, motorcycle engine connected to a fan hung from a parachute. That's their airplanes. And the Muslim countries that hate Israel is Iran, Qatar, and Turkey. And they're the, they're the friends of Hamas because, because Hamas wants to destroy Israel. That's their bylaws or something. Number one is destroy Israel. Kill all the Jews. And Israel has two places where the Palestinians live, the West Bank and Gaza. So this is just the Gaza ones. So I think if you want videos of the war, it's on Twitter. I went on Twitter, I watched some videos. I didn't see all the videos. Or I didn't know what to search for to find them all. But there's one main video that you find on there and this is really gross, so fast forward a couple minutes, who knows? Skip ahead a long ways. But there's a video of a bunch of bearded Muslim men in the back of a Toyota pickup truck. They're sitting on the side rails. These are Hamas Palestinian militants, I guess, and they're surrounded by a bunch of Palestinians hooting and hollering. And on the bed of a truck is a young woman. You can't see her face. She's face down, but she's got like, you know, white girl dreadlocks. So, you know, 20 something. And she's dead and all of her limbs have been bent the wrong way. And she's half naked. And so the numbers I heard most recently, and they're going to change, you know, by the hour, but it was 200 Israelis dead, 200 Palestinians dead, a thousand Israelis injured, not sure on the Palestinians, and then 50 
Israelis kidnapped, taken back into Gaza. They've got a tunnel network, so you take them underground, can't get them easy. And so the other thing you see on Twitter, you know, there's that video, and then there's this picture of possibly, I don't know if it's true, missing women, the women that were grabbed and taken back. And there was like an outdoor dance festival right next to Gaza. They're, gonna be, they're sorry about that, I'm sure. And so a bunch of like, you know, early 20s, whatever, we tell the truth here, smoking hot white women, Jews, they were grabbed by Hamas. Basically, Hamas broke out of their fence and was like a thousand partiers, you know, a thousand early 20s, you know, drug, addict, drug, drunk, you get it, on drugs, drunk, camping out at a music festival. It was called Nature Fest or something. And so they were like, yoink, you'll make a good hostage. And we don't know, but you know, here's the question. Are they going to rape him? You know, was that dead lady in the back of the truck? Did they rape her before they did all that? You know, anyways. And so back to America, we got our mainstream media telling us what's going on. And the mainstream media is woke. And so if you're woke, you're like, America's racist. The cops are racist. Whites are racist. Blacks are good. Blacks are like children. Blacks are not responsible for anything bad that they do. And all of that didn't used to be superimposed onto Israel with the Jews and the Palestinians, but that's how it is now. So the mainstream media is like, you know, basically it's inconvenient. It'd be like, you know, are they gonna be talking about every time a black man rapes a white woman? Obviously not. You know, maybe in the old days they talked about it more than it deserved. So now they gotta talk about it less. Or maybe it'd be boring. I mean, you know, there'd be a story every day. So Israel is gonna put the hammer down after I'm talking here. And so, you know, it's 200 dead on each side. Basically, the media is just going to keep track of the number of dead. And the number of dead on the Palestinian side is probably going to shoot up to 1,000, 10,000, who knows. And so it's going to be 200 dead here, 2,000 dead there. That side's racist. Disproportionate, the D word. And I did a Google News search for, like, Israel-Palestinian rape or whatever. There's no stories talking about... There's no stories talking about rape. Basically, if you want to make the Palestinians look bad, you talk about all the rape and dis, uh, mutilation the, and torture and whatnot, because they're like, you know, they're grabbing kids, they're doing all this, all the stuff they always wanted to do, get back. You know, they really hate each other. And if you're, you know, if you want to make Israel look bad, then you just put the numbers and you say, there's a long history of racism or whatever you want to call it, and look at these numbers. And, you know, there's going to be plenty of kids in both of those numbers. A dead kid's a dead kid. Um, maybe a little bit of extra rape and torture is not that big a deal. You know, you do that to one woman versus the other side kills ten kids. You know, it's just... everyone. Basically, everyone can choose their own side. Whatever side you were on to begin with, you can choose it. Nothing will change your opinion. And you can go online and find, you know, proof of all this terrible stuff that... The Palestinians are doing, or you can listen to the mainstream media and listen to these numbers and be real detached. And then other questions. So Israel, like basically they've gotten over the Palestinians. They're like, whatever, you know, you you kill a few Israelis, we kill a few hundred of you. That's the huge. The Israelis were fighting amongst themselves. So what does this do to them? Does it bring them together or... Who knows what? The left and the right? 
the woke and the deplorables. After 9-11, George Bush Jr., he became like the most pre popular president ever there for a while. And so the media is already, American media, is already like, oh, look, the president of Israel, he fell down, down on his job. He shouldn't even let those Palestinians get out of their cage and do what they did. You know what they look like? They look like um, a bunch of barbarians running into a village in a movie. Anyways, this kind of thing would normally make the right-wing president of Israel more popular, but they're trying to spin it that he felt, you know, it was a debacle because it was his fault to try and make him not more popular. We're going to wait and see what that does. Is America too busy with Ukraine, so this is a good time for Hamas to attack? We don't know. Apparently, America has warehouses full of weapons that Israel can use, but they have to ask us first. First, And sometimes we say, no, you killed too many Palestinians, you can't have access to that warehouse. And so there's, you know, the West Bank has got a bunch of uh, Palestinians that might want to get in on the action. Um, there's an army called Hezbollah just north of Israel. They might want to get in on the action. Maybe full-on sized countries, this is a good time to do some attacking. Or maybe this is a good time for Israel to attack those full-on countries that they didn't like, and those countries have been paying for Hamas. Hamas shoots missiles into Israel, and those missiles are made in Iran. Of course, Iran has 70 million people, and Israel has 10. And a good chunk of that 10 does not like the country. And if you go search my previous podcast for Jews or Israel, there's tons of information on all this if you want to know more. But, all right, well, next week we'll see what happened. Oh, I grabbed a clip from Honestly with Barry Weiss podcast. She's a Zionist. Uh, I just figured I'd show you what she's saying. Some people who are watching the news or just scrolling through the New York Times might not have a sense of the magnitude of what just has happened over the past less than 24 hours. Let me just go through some of the images, and I'm going to try not to cry, that I have been seeing this morning and last night. Terrorists going door to door, hunting people down. A mother, a hostage, cradling two redhead babies in her arm. An old woman, probably a grandmother, being forced to pose with a Hamas rifle. The dead, half-naked body of a young woman on a stolen IDF vehicle being dragged into Gaza by Hamas militants being mutilated. Teenagers running through their, for their lives at a music festival, kind of like Burning Man. One of those girls being thrown on a motorcycle, take, being taken in, hostage into Gaza as she screams to be let go. The mayor of Shahr Hanegev, Ofer Libstein, murdered. Desperate Israelis calling in to radio stations, begging for help from inside their safe rooms while terrorists are on the other side of the door. And meantime, on WhatsApp and Signal, friends texting me from inside Israel saying this is only a fraction of what's going on. Little update, um, 500 Israelis dead. America has 35 times as many people as Israel, so they're saying it's like their 9-11. So it'll be like 9-11, but 17,500 people got killed. So it'll be like 9-11 times 5. And maybe you don't talk about the rape and show the bodies of the women um, who are dead and etc. But some of them lived, and so you can do interviews with them. So that, I'm going to be curious to see if American mainstream media puts out interviews. Here's one that the BBC did on their podcast. Oscovich. She was among hundreds of young people at a dance music festival in southern Israel near the Gaza Strip when the gunman attacked. The terrorists were coming from four or five places, not like one direction, so we didn't know where to go. 
I got into my car, I drove a little bit. Some people were shooting on me. I left the car, I started to run. I saw a place with many, many pomelo trees, like 200 trees. So I was going in the middle and I was lying in the floor. It was the second hidden that I find. And they were just all around me. And they were going tree by tree and shooting everywhere from two sides. And I saw many people like dying all around. So it was very quiet. I didn't cry, I didn't do anything. But in one hand, I was like breathing. I said, okay, I'm gonna die. It's okay, just breathe. Just close your eyes because it was shooting everywhere, very, very close to me. And then I heard the terrorists, I heard them. They opened a big van and all the time they got more weapons from this car. They were in the area for three hours. No one was there, no one. Policemen from the party, yes, I saw, but they were in one side. Other side, I was sure, like, the army will come. I heard some helicopters. I was sure, like, soldiers are going to come down with robes and go into this field and save us. But no one was there, just all these terrorists. They were one last update. Now it's over 600 Israelis dead. The woman in the back of the truck, it looks like she's a German tattoo artist. Don't know if she's Jewish. But someone was saying that the Israelis were shocked that Hamas could get through all the fences and barriers and go on a rampage. And quite possibly, Hamas is shocked that they were able to get through and kill so many people and, oh, and grab, now it's over 100 hostages. It may have worked too well. They may, you know, they may not want as much retaliation as they're gonna get. I mean, were Al-Qaeda people like happy every day of their life after 9-11? They're like, you know, I did that and I can die happy. And then, oh, they haven't caught me. It's been a decade. I'm still super happy. Oh, SEAL Team 6 is coming through my door. Well, that's fine. I can still die happy. And I guess the last time the Palestinians had a Jew hostage, Israel traded a thousand Palestinian, you know, terrorists or something in exchange for that one Jew. And apparently that's the policy. And apparently Israeli citizens do not like that policy. And if I was Israel doing their strategy, I, you know, right now the world is on Israel's side. Pretty soon the numbers of Palestinian dead is going to be huge and then the, the world will switch, or at least, you know, the, the media class. So if I were Israel, I would keep the number of Jews higher dead, higher than the number of Palestinians dead, for like the first week. For the first week it's all going to be, you know, front page headlines, so let those be pro-Israel. And then, you know, three weeks later when it's 12,000 to 1,000, uh, you know, that'll be on the back page and who cares? I mean, America likes to do wars that last 20 years. I don't know. And evolution makes the human brain treat the death of a woman much more seriously than the death of a man. Also the death of children. Women and children, that's terrible. Men, meh. I mean, that's how I feel too. Especially soldiers. They're just numbers. It's going to be interesting to see how that twist plays with the media narrative. A Democratic congressman was carjacked in Washington, D.C. this week. And a pro-defund the police reporter and another guy similar to that got murdered recently. The details are in an episode about random crime of the Commentary Magazine podcast. I think Tuesday or Wednesday. One of the guys is breaking down how he thinks the crime in the big cities is. 
And it's Chicago is gang violence, uh, adults. You know, basically, this is, who's doing the murders and violence, you know? So, gang members in Chicago. New York, it's crazy people. Washington, D.C. is seeing a crazy spate of carjackings this year. And I think that's all correct. And then he says for Philadelphia, they got these, you know, flash mob robberies where people take the license plates off of their car, organize on social media, and just go break into 10, 20, 50 stores at a time and grab everything they can. And I've talked about how it's pretty simple to see that it's the Black Lives Matter summer of George Floyd 2020 that caused the giant increase and then we're slowly riding it out after that. You know, if you, if you double murder, it doesn't go back down to half the next year. I mean, basically, all those ty even the crazy people are black. So all, all, you know, all these groups, the young people who are doing the carjacking, well, that's black young people. The gangbangers who are shooting each other in Chicago, well, that's black gangbangers, etc. Anyways, because of the racial aspect, no one is willing to just say, point the finger directly at Black Lives Matter and say, that's what did it, that's what started it. I mean, you know, it has a life of its own now. And I saw some stats. I think New York and Philly, murder is slowly going down. Um, I believe Chicago, murder is up 27% just this year. So, whatever, they're really going for it. And then I think D.C. is, you know, carjackings are up 250% or something. Don't quote me on that one. But carjacking, the most out of all the crimes in all the cities is carjackings in D.C. It seems like that one, I don't know if it's TikTok or, I don't know, it would probably be um, Snapchat. But it seems like black teens, they get into a group, they all take guns with them, they go steal a car, they don't know how to sell a car or break it down into its parts and sell it off. Anyways, they just enjoy having a car for a few hours and then they drop it off. And if you resist or if one of them is too dumb and their impulse control doesn't work, uh, they might kill you. But it seems like people on the left are maybe starting to have a second thought, think, about the whole crime situation. Like Chicago gangbangers murdering each other. That's black on black. That's some other neighborhood. That's not making anyone, you know, double check their Trump derangement syndrome. We need to defund the police so that fuck Trump. And like this week, uh, well, in the last couple weeks, Target is shutting down stores all over the country because um, of shoplifting. Starbucks is shutting them down. Basically, everyone, all the big chains are shutting down stores. But I think a lot of it is stores in poor neighborhoods. Frequently black, but not necessarily. Um, anyways, so left-wing people don't give a shit about that either. As long as it's not your store. Although, the store closing stuff is starting to hit everyone. Like, if you didn't watch the news for a year in Chicago, you would have no idea if there was a murder or a hundred murders. You'd have no idea, but... You probably will go to some store, or try to, and find out it ain't there. The question is, is it the one that you always went to, or just, oh, just an occasional one and inconvenient? And I think the carjacking one is starting to be noticed by your average super rich, works for the government lefty in D.C. Maybe you haven't been carjacked, but I think it's starting to be where, I don't know, I'm going to make that, this is totally made up. It's not your friend who got carjacked. But now I think people in D.C. have a friend of a friend, maybe, who got carjacked. Or, you know, oh, do you hear Susie in account accounting got carjacked? And it's kind of funny because Hyundai and Kia are both being sued because it's so easy to steal their cars. But the rest of the cars, all you need is a gun and you just got to get there when the owner is there with the keys and you're good to go. Owners of Hyundai and Kia 
are not getting murdered along with the loss of their car. See what else? San Francisco, the mayor said we're she she's proposing, hasn't happened yet, no longer giving money to people who can't pass a drug test. Or well if you can't pass a drug test, you gotta be in rehab. Or something similar like that. You gotta be doing something to make a tiny bit of an effort to show that you're trying to get off drugs. Right now in San Francisco, basically, if you're homeless, they will pay you to do drugs. I mean, the people in charge of all that and who set that up, they wouldn't put it that way, but that's what happens. I forget how many hundreds of dollars you get a month, but uh, apparently it's enough to just, you know, zonk out on fentanyl and take a crap on the sidewalk. But San Francisco is, I think it's actually controlled by a committee or something so the mayor is not in total control the committee is super super far left um you know I, I don't think they're tired of stepping over bodies covered in feces yet it's coming but not yet we'll see but the mayor even saying this stuff i think that mayor has that's london breed black woman she has switched from like full-on defund the police i think in 2020 to now she wants to defund all the homeless people and then kind of similar, I just heard, so New York City has 60,000 homeless people, and they have a law that says you have to provide a place to stay for everyone who's homeless, so they do. But the number of homeless migrants has just reached 60,000. So anyways, they got just as many migrants that they have to give a free place to stay as normal, classic homeless Americans. It's not the new Coke, it's the classic Coke. And so America's a democracy. You can't really do anything without voting. In San Francisco, they re uh, recalled their district attorney, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I think it's easier to overlook violent crime, especially if it's only happening to black people, compared to, oh, if there's feces on the sidewalk and you step in it. I mean, oh my God. You do that once a year, you know, that might make you vote Republican. Your dog steps in it, your kid steps in it. Not dog feces. But anyways, uh, I think Los Angeles and Chicago, normally the left-wing person wins by 20, but the most recent time around for the mayor, uh, only won by a couple points. So there's like an 18-point swing, huge, enormous swing. But, you know, you got an 18 swing, you needed a 21-point swing to actually get some change didn't happen and if you're a woke white person you know where where do you come in when one black person murders another black person well you don't blame yourself for the black person who got murdered you blame yourself for the black person that has to go to prison like you know you're involved with that your tax money the system you've set up of government and cops is taking that black person and putting them into prison so you feel bad for that part the victim that ain't you. That ain't on you. Just doesn't, you know, not who cares, but doesn't enter the equation. But that's so I can get to some history of false accusations of racism. And one of those is that America is racist because, you know, a gram of crack will send you to prison for five years, whereas a gram of coke, they just let you go with a slap on the wrist, even though crack is a type of coke. And that would be racist if white people did that because they want to pay for black people to be in prison, which they don't. But that went down in the 90s when black community leaders like preachers and whatever, and politicians, they demanded that white people pay more for cops to throw crack dealers in prison. 
They're like, we need stiffer sentences, and we want you to go arrest all these crack dealers. They're tearing up our neighborhoods, throw them in prison, do it toot sweet. And so black community leaders, those are the ones who care about the black victim in the murder situation, not the black criminal. Not, you know, it's the opposite. They care about the opposite side of that equation compared to woke white people. And woke white people are not going to mansplain to some black person about how, oh, you know, we, you know we're going to tell you how to run your community. So basically, if black community leaders get fed up enough, again, like they did in the 90s, and say, throw all these black criminals in prison, then uh, maybe we will. And I think, I don't know, according to this podcast I'm listening to, they're starting to feel that way. I don't know. I don't hang out with a lot of black community leaders. Although I wish I did. I bet the food is wonderful. Paul Joseph Watson did a YouTube video this week about the woke guy who got murdered. Turns out the guy was in Baltimore. And his video also talked about that 26-year-old female tech CEO who got murdered that I talked about last week. And that was in Baltimore. And Paul Joseph Watson on YouTube, I recommend him. I mean, he's way more famous than me. But he's a British guy who is not sympathetic to Africans moving to Europe, plus other culture war stuff. So, you know, what's good about him is he does short videos full of information. Like, you know, I don't know if I agree with his opinions, but all of his information is rock solid. That's why I like him. So Paul Joseph Watson, check it out if you're interested. So we got some new information, but a couple things before that. So Commentary Magazine was talking about the woke people, defund the police people who got murdered by the people they were supposed to, trying to help. I mean, whatever. It makes me chuckle. And there are a bunch of pro-Israel neocons who want America to start a war in the Middle East and destroy Iran for them. So that's not bleeding heart liberal. And then Paul Joseph Watson, he's really against Africans moving to Europe, migrants, and... He's less politically correct than I am. But anyways, both of these people talking about it, they put in a bunch of caveats. You know, I'm not saying that it's good that the woke guy got murdered by the black people, that he was saying you were racist if you wanted to throw in prison. Every death is a tragedy. So anyways, I guess you got to say that. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that was how they felt. You know, schadenfreude, amusement. I mean, that's the feelings I had, and I'm pretty damn sure that's the feelings they all had. But this is the Anti-Woke Podcast. Here, we tell the goddamn truth. It's not, oh, it's a terrible tragedy, but hopefully these Democrat-led cities will learn this lesson and, you know, change their ways. The answer is obviously, ha. And possibly, ha ha. I mean, I wouldn't push a button to make these people get murdered by whatever random black people that they're helping. But like a story this week was a little nine-year-old blonde girl who got snatched while riding her bark in a bike in a New York State park. And I think the cops took him three, years, or three days to find her. Some crazy white guy like did it. He left a ransom note. She was hiding in a cupboard when the cops got there. We don't know what the guy did to her over those three days. We don't want to know. But there's only so much sympathy to go around, and we can save our sympathy for things that really matter, like that little girl. And so Paul Joseph Watson, his video is like seven and a half minutes long. It's chock full of information, and it makes me think of the inverted pyramid, which is a thing about how you're supposed to write an article or an essay, which is 
you very quickly put the most important things at the top. You can imagine the pyramid, that's the top part of the pyramid. Like the old food pyramid. Like for instance, North Korea ha is sitting on a pile of 10 million shells, artillery. That's the most of any country on the planet. And they might give a bunch of that to Russia to use in Ukraine. And so that was the upshot of a real life lore YouTube video I was watching the other day. It took 20 minutes. I had to watch 20 minutes before I finally got that was the point of the video. And so real life lore, I mean, he makes good videos. He's the one that clued me in on the fact that Crimea is surrounded by natural gas and the waters around it. The Donbass in Ukraine has all the natural gas that Ukraine has. And then all the oil pipelines from like Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan go through, go through Ukraine to get to Germany. I mean, don't worry about that now, but that's just stuff you want to know in general for the Ukraine war. You know, money equals natural gas, or the other way around. But I just, a lot of YouTubers, they do, a, was it inverted pyramid? I guess the, actually it should be a normal pyramid. Anyways, the inverted pyramid is where you got to watch the whole goddamn video until you finally get the point at the end. And that's so they can sell ads and make more money off of you. But God, it drives me up the wall. But so Watson had some more information on the 26-year-old tech CEO, Pava Lapeer, white girl. He went and found some tweets of hers where, whatever, she's talking about anti-racism all the time. She's talking about how her company has got itself up to 30% black people. I don't know if she said the exact words, defund the police. But basically she was one of those. Internet sleuthing is an interesting thing. Anyone can do it. But so Watson found this story from, I think, 2018, I think in Baltimore. And this is cherry picking, but it's also a nice juxtaposition. But there's this story where a woman was called racist because some black guy forgot his key and she wouldn't open the door into their apartment building for him. And I don't know if he really lived there or not. But she was called racist. Turns out she was black also. But anyways, Pava Lapeer, she went to her apartment building, went through the locked door, closed it. This black guy came up and said, hey, let me in, and she did. So she fucked around and found out, to put it way too bluntly, and her body was found in a state of undress. So murdered and raped. She'd be alive today if she listened to my podcast. When a black person lives in the ghetto... They're like, we need more cops around here. There's too much crime. And then they get murdered because there ain't enough cops around. Well, that's a cosmic injustice. And then when a white person says, defund the police, and gets, you know, the number of cops in the ghetto reduced, and then they get murdered, that's cosmic justice. All right, so I've watched Monday to Friday, NBC Nightly News. And the crime type of the week is social justice warriors being murdered by black people. So for the first half of the year or more, the crime of the week was mass shootings. And then the last couple months, the crime of the week has been criminals at large. And then basically since that white female tech CEO in Baltimore, 26 years old, who got murdered by a black, raped and murdered by a black guy, the news has been pivoting. And Thursday, so they've been talking about that one pretty much every day, but Thursday was about the, I don't know, he's like a social justice warrior on Twitter who got murdered by a black guy, 18-year-old black guy. And there's video of it, I think, stabbed through the heart. And then Friday was the New York social justice warrior who, 
He was a formerly homeless drug addict who wrote articles for various news outlets. And he did a lot of articles about AIDS. So I think he's gay. And he was shot seven times by a 19-year-old black guy. I think he was into having sex with 19-year-old black men. And that was how that paid off for him. I mean, maybe the guy was straight and he's like, you want a what? So I'm waiting to see next week. Can they, can they find someone who gets murdered by a black person and they have a large online presence talking about anti-racism or whatever? I mean, I don't think you can use, make that the crime of the week for, you know, for a month or two months. But I don't know. Maybe you can. I mean, I really don't know how many people like that are getting murdered every week. It may be more than you think. NPR was ad-mixing some identity politics into their climate change coverage the other day. It was cracking me up. Here's a couple clips. It reminds me of the apocryphal headline, Asteroid totally destroys Earth. Women of color most affected. Humans are driving climate change, and that means we can find the solutions to change the trajectory we're on. We actually have many solutions already. Robert Bullard, professor of urban planning at Texas Southern University, equates this moment to when our country faced past injustices. For example, slavery was an evil institution and it needed to be dismantled. I place coal and gas plants with renewables, we reduce greenhouse gases that warm our planet, and we also end up reducing the air pollution that is bad for our lungs. Disadvantaged communities bear the brunt of that pollution, so reducing fossil fuels would help communities of color. The latest 538 podcast is talking about a new meme on TikTok, which is how much do men think about the Roman Empire? And I haven't seen it, but I think it's like wives go up to their husbands and say, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And he's like, oh, every day. And she's like, what? What the hell are you thinking about the Roman Empire so much for? So do men think about it more than women? Well, that's anecdata, but... YouGov did a real poll, and 538's talking about it. And there were options like, you know, once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year, never. And 4% of men think about it every day, compared to 1% of women. And 53% of women have never thought about the Roman Empire, compared to 30% of men. And so Galen Druke is the host of the 538 podcast. He's a twink, but he's frickin' awesome. I would imagine in his normal life, he's super far lefty, who knows what, but he plays it absolutely straight down the middle on his podcast, which that's all I ask for. You know, don't, whatever, don't let your politics turn your media analysis into horseshit, please, like everyone else does. So he's asking his panel, why do you think that is? And, you know, woman's like, oh, because teachers don't encourage women to learn history. And Galen's like, are you sure? Because women are crushing men at every level of education today. And, you know, the answer to me, why men think about the Roman Empire way more than women, it's obvious if you look at it from an evolutionary biology perspective. Why would boys and then dads think about it more than girls and moms? Well, the Roman Empire, it's, what is it? It's war, it's empire, it's power. Politics, murder, it all comes down to power. So, you know, this goes, you know, this goes last 100,000 years easy before the Roman Empire, but for a man to get laid and pass on his DNA, understanding power 
works great for a woman you know wow that woman really understands how to line up a phalanx of shield soldiers in front of the guys with spears like that's not going to get her laid she's getting laid either way and it's not like every man in history was a soldier and had to fight other men but it's definitely something you want to think about i mean just think of you know how little girls playing with dolls and little little boys playing with guns you know they'll take their what do they do i forget which food is useful for making a little gun-shaped thing out of it but little boys will take their food and make a gun out of it green beans corn or maybe you bite your bread into the shape of a gun i think that's what you do but boys young men they needed to convince the farmer next door to basically give give him the daughter and if he could do that his dna was passed on and then for the girl that was actually just the start of it she had to keep thinking after that how did she how does she keep herself alive and more and most importantly keep her kid alive that's how she passes on her dna I'm trying to think what would be the female equivalent of thinking about the roman empire well one obvious answer would be thinking about the man who thinks about the roman empire that's who puts food on the table and prevents people from murdering you. I mean, thinking about clothing, because looking good is how you get the powerful man. Anyways, basically fill in every single stereotype, because they're all true. There you go on that. But now in modern society, everyone, including women, think that what dads do is awesome, and what moms do is dog shit. And understanding that it's evolution that makes things that way doesn't give you a human being to blame. You know, you want to blame Trump, ideally. But anyways, phalanx is a great word. It's when you line up your soldiers. Bit more about stereotypes. The whole point of a stereotype is that it is a true generalization about a group of people. People don't like them, so they'll say they're not true. But basically, if stereotypes were not true generalizations, then we would just take the whole concept of stereotypes, we'd throw it in the trash, and we create a new concept. Let's call it stereobipes with a B. And it would be true generalizations about groups of people. And we would be like, I don't know why we didn't think of having a concept of stereobipes before, but man, this thing works great. Let's think of a stereotype that won't get me in too much trouble. I'm not saying this. This is just a stereotype. One you don't hear too much anymore, but it was popular like in the 80s, maybe 90s, was... Mexicans are lazy. And then people would be like, that's not true. It's just because Mexico is so hot. You know, the middle of the day is so hot, you got to take a siesta, take a nap, otherwise you'll die of dehydration. Which is like, oh, so you're saying the stereotype is true, but there's an explanation for why. And then to follow that rabbit down the hole, maybe the reason you don't hear that one anymore is because, you know, the Mexicans have moved to a colder climate and now they're not taking a nap in the middle of the day and they don't seem lazy had a few comments on spotify i lost the name for this listener but they said listened to most of the episodes of the last six months and discovered some good pods thanks to you keep up the good work a listener from south america well thank you south american listener what i will say is that my best podcasts are actually my earliest ones. They're short, and they are, I don't know, they're just the best. So you might go back to the beginning. I wouldn't bother with the more recent ones, except for the most recent one. And then a listener named Tabu Chiriodich said, 
It's awesome. Sorry, I don't got any suggestions to discuss about. Well, thank you, Tabu Chirio Ditch. I think he's he's talking about. I was I was whining about what I was going to talk about last week. I I think I'm over that whining, but thank you for feeling my pain, Tabu Chirio Ditch. And then Chopper Twenty Two said, "Amazing. Keep going, dude. Don't ever quit. This pod is what I think." But no one is brave enough to talk about. Thanks, Chopper. Remember that movie, Stand By Me? If you haven't seen it, great, great movie. But anyways, sick balls, Chopper. Let's talk politics. So last week, there was a fight over the government shutdown, which is not something I care about. I didn't even mention it. Government shutdowns and debt ceilings are things that are ongoing, So the media loves to talk about them incessantly, but until they actually matter, they don't matter. And government shutdowns, I don't know how long it would take of the government being shut down to actually matter, but it would probably be, certainly be weeks, possibly months, maybe even years. Uh, Unless you're planning your vacation to a national park right when the Republicans and Democrats are fighting about it. It basically just means that everyone who works for the national government gets a vacation they better have their money saved up for that vacation because they only get paid for, for the time off at the end of it. So, I mean, basically, if the government shut down for a year, that would be perfect for everyone who works for the government. That means you get paid for a whole year. You got to dip into your savings for that year. And then you basically you don't work and then you get your giant paycheck at the end. It's kind of like teachers get to do it every summer. And in theory, people wouldn't get their social security checks, but... I mean, I'll believe that when I see it. That's political suicide, as they say. Well, so they pushed the shutdown off for 45 days, so we'll see then. There's this thing where the media has the public trained to blame the Republicans for each shutdown, and they do, and then the public, you know, polling gets real mad at the Republicans, public polling, and then it goes away after a few weeks when the government reopens. I think there's some doubt as to whether or not the public, obviously the public does not trust the media like they used to. So there's some doubt whether or not it'll just be all the blame will go to the Republicans if and when we have another one. And I'm not entirely sure, but I think the Republicans actually put together a budget. I think they just did a budget from pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic, very roughly, the federal budget was $4 trillion. You know, never waste a crisis. It's been $6 trillion ever since. I think they just said, here, here's, a, here's an old $4 trillion budget. So sometimes the Democrats have a budget and the Republicans don't. And then it's like, well, oh, the Republicans are to blame. They don't even have a budget. But anyways, they both have a budget. The media is not talking about how they both have a budget. Why isn't it the Democrats and Biden who should just sign on to the Republicans' budget? And I think because of inflation, people are starting to, more people are starting to think that government spending is bad. It was kind of all theoretical before. But so there was the 45-day stopgap. Speaker of the House was Kevin McCarthy. He has lost his job. He used Democrat votes to get that stopgap passed. Maybe that's why he lost his job, or it's not clear. There's a guy named Matt Gates who wants to be governor of Florida and then president of the United States. And he's kind of famous because maybe two years ago there were accusations of him taking underage girls across state lines and then 
I think, I guess, Florida authorities dropped all charges. But apparently McCarthy let the House investigate him for imp improper whatever. And so he's hated McCarthy ever since, and he got McCarthy fired. And the media calls him far-right, ultra-conservative, or wh whatever horseshit they're saying now. Well, actually. So they were saying far-right to the... Whatever. The people in the, the House... The, the politicians in the House who, like, maybe oppose the Ukraine war, you know... Opposing war used to be a far-left ideology. Anyways, the media would call them far-right. But lately, I've been hearing them say the words hardline more. I mean, when the Democrats are on the side of the Ukraine government, which is full of neo-Nazis, that's the real far-right. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the uh, media is waking up to who's, who's in bed with the real far-right, but... But NPR, this morning, they said ultra-conservative. So they're, they're searching around... I don't know if this is true, but I feel like they're searching around for different adjectives for Republicans that they hate. But hard right is in there somewhere too. And I'm really enamored of this idea of the myth of left and right, where it doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, pro-war, that's right. Now pro-war is, you know, that's left. It's just your tribe. And it made me think, like, in Europe, Okay, so in Europe right now, I think they're passing some laws. They're getting ready for next year. In Europe, they're passing a bunch of laws to let in as many Africans as possible. And, they, and the laws are they don't want the Africans just to go to the countries that are close to Africa, like Italy and Spain and Greece. They want, them to go, they want the Africans to go to those countries, and then they want to spread the Africans to all the countries in Europe. I mean, what they say is, oh, it shouldn't just be those countries near Africa that have to take in all the Africans. We should spread it around. And while we're doing that, we should greatly increase the number of Africans in total. If you're not stepping over a sleeping African every time you walk out your door, then they have not done their jobs right. But in Europe, left and right... Oh, okay, sorry. So they're, they're passing that law because next year there's a bunch of elections and it looks like anti-immigrant right-wing populists are going to be possibly swept into office. So now is the time to get in as many Africans as possible and try and lock in the laws. The way that they do it is um, the judges, the, uh, the judiciary always opposes the politicians, overrules the politicians and says, uh, you got to let in Africans. Basically, you know, so voters, sorry, I know you voted for someone who's against letting in Africans. The judges overruled them. We're letting them in. And so in Europe, that's the left-right divide, immigration, migration. And it's interesting because Europe is way beyond, like, abortion. Like, left and right, they're all pro-choice. Left and right, they're all anti-gun. The Ukraine war has now put the left on the side of war and the right against war. But anyways, you can just see that left and right comes down to one thing and everything else is negotiable or actually can just be thrown over the side of the ship. Who cares about that other thing? We just care about the one thing. Europe, it's immigration. And so I had this realization, in America, the one thing is now Donald Trump. Everyone flipped on war. Right wing is starting to be supporting Social Security, so they both support that. They both want to give money to the rich. The right wing in America is getting over abortion as we speak. Donald Trump is like, I don't know about these abortion bans. 
I made one happen with my judges in the Supreme Court, and now I don't know about this shit, he says. So basically, every political belief can be thrown over the side of the ship. It just depends how you feel about Trump. Which is going to put a, and already has, put a bunch of, like, Reagan conservative whatevers, you know, on the left, for instance. But so, the Speaker of the House is out. Now we're going to be searching for another one. Basically, McCarthy, he was a guy, the only thing he cared about was giving money to the rich. He was a classic Republican politician. And that's still, I'm going to guess, 95% of Republican politicians, that's all they care about to this day. They will, you know, they will move their mouths and have, you know, vibrations in the air come out of them about being populist and supporting Donald Trump. But that's all horseshit. All they care about is giving money to the rich. The federal government takes money in, in taxes, and creates money out of thin air with the Federal Reserve. Now, where is that money going to go? They just want to get in on that whole situation. But there were eight Republicans who said, get rid of McCarthy. And so I don't know. I, I got to assume that something like 95% of those eight, this is the far right, the ultra conservative, the blah, blah. All they care about is giving money to the rich, I think, too. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. They, they're do, they have a strange way of showing it. So do we have some actual populism going on here? We'll just wait and see. And basically, like, Joe Biden is making not the most war. That would be, like, Iraq or Vietnam. But he is making an enormous amount of war. And he is giving the most money to the rich ever, as I say, by a factor of whatever. Let's rerun the math. So... Budget used to be $4 trillion, now it's $6 trillion. That extra $2 trillion used to come in a $1,200 check to everyone in the population. They're still spending that exact same amount of money. It ain't going to no poor people, just ask them. It's going to the rich. But basically, Joe Biden is doing what, you know, what a Reagan conservative would want. Like, he's doing it more than they ever could. You know, it's kind of like you need a wolf in sheep's clothing. You need the Democrats to vote. Well, okay, here's what it is. If you really, really want to give money to the rich, then you need to get the Democrats on board. And that's what they've done. Hatred of Donald Trump has allowed Democrats to delude themselves that that's not what they're doing. And that's, anyways, so that's what's going on. And Republicans, they do not want the apple cart tipped over. Joe Biden is doing everything that they ever wanted. Like, it, it's like... Uh, you know, they made a list and sent it off to Santa, and Joe Biden came down the chimney and gave everything, everything. They're like, we want a trillion, you know, the Republicans and the Republican politicians are like, we want a trillion dollars to go to the rich every year, an extra trillion. And Joe Biden came down the chimney and he said, little boy, how about two trillion extra? And kind of the only way to fix this whole situation is for the voters to wake up and then the media is lying to them so they still think that Democrat means what it used to mean or whatever. So that's what's going on and that's, I think, the correct lens to look at stuff and then it does make things interesting. Basically, you can see as nothing changes because everyone in D.C. agrees it's perfect as it is. NPR Politics was talking about a new NPR Marist poll asking people about Trump versus Biden. And they were aggravating me, but I came up with something to make it a little more fun. I was just like, okay, each time the way they phrase something, can you tell 
which side of the political aisle they hate. And it was like, TDS, TDS. Do I hear TDS? It was just, it was all TDS. Trump derangement syndrome. Gotta love it. And NPR politics, they went from like 2016 to 2020 playing it straight down the middle and not being a bunch of liars. I don't know. They, they come and they go. And the different women, it's always women it seems, on the show come and go. The black women get promoted to something bigger. The white women, you never hear of them again. The main black woman, uh, her name was Aisha Roscoe. I think she now does morning edition weekends or something. But anyways, her last name, Roscoe, is spelled Rasco, which I think, I wish she would say it that way. That would be awesome. Aisha Rasco. Kind of like Rasco P. Coltrane. But NPR's derangement, it doesn't mean that they cook the books. I mean, when they do a poll, it's accurate. It's just, you know, what questions do you ask? That's where the derangement comes in. And so the poll and then just basically the whole show is they're just like, America, we're telling you Trump is a criminal. Why are you not saying we hate Donald Trump? We're telling you what to think. Why are the thoughts in your head not the ones that we told you to think? God damn it. But so the show goes on and on. The, the, one of the questions was like, you know, do you think that Trump did something illegal? A, something unethical, B, or, I don't know, who know, who cares about the other ones? And so, 50% of America thinks Trump did something illegal. I mean, that lines up with 50% of America as Democrats. And then 25% think that he did something unethical. So that's half of everyone else. But anyways, that adds up to 75%. Remember that number. And they go on and on about that. And then there's a punchline. I guess they don't think of it as... A, they don't think of themselves as jokes, and this being the punchline. But after they go on and on about that, they very quickly go through that Biden is 40-25, so 65. Remember 75? Well, Biden is 65. And, I mean, I think both of them did illegal stuff. Being a president will make you do illegal stuff, and they both did illegal stuff outside of being president. I mean, I mean have you ever done anything illegal, dear listener? I know I have. I was trying to think of the last time I did something illegal, and I was like, I, and I, when I started that train of thought, that train left the station, I was like, boy, it's going to be a long time ago. And then I was like, oh, wait, you know, yesterday. And then, oh, right, almost every day of my life. I mean, you know, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not ashamed of anything. I ain't going to tell you what the various things are. It depends on the day. Makes me think, when I was 18, I found a license, a wallet, sorry, a wallet with a license in there of a guy who looked just like me, but he was 21. And so I had fake ID from 18 to 21, and I just carried two wallets, one in each back pocket. My real one, my fake ID, in case I ever needed it, which I did. And so one time back then, I was like, huh, you know, if I ever ran into a cop or something, well, I don't, you know, I'm not doing anything illegal. I could always run into a cop. It would be fine. And I was like, oh, wait, every waking hour of my day is doing something illegal, which is walking around with a fake ID. And I have frequently registered cars at different addresses to get around DEQ. I mean, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. We're all adults here. I will say that's pretty sweet. I'm not sure, but I think most states no longer have addresses that don't require DEQ. But Southern Oregon, no DEQ at all. But anyway, so 75% of America think Trump's doing bad stuff. 65% think of Biden. Obviously, NPR politics is going on and on about there's no evidence of him, and I'm like, what are they going to say? What are you going to say? Say it! Say it! 
And they go, no evidence of him doing something wrong. Well, if they would have said direct evidence of him committing a crime, then they would have been not liars. But because they said there's no evidence of him doing something wrong, they're liars. I mean, taking dinners with Eastern European oil oligarchs, uh, I think we can all agree that's wrong. Well, I guess we can't all agree. If you have Trump derangement syndrome, that's, I don't know what the hell that is. So like I say, the polling itself is on the up and up. It's the questions where the derangement comes in. NPR was like, come on, America, tell us how much you hate Trump and all his illegal shit. And then they're like, God damn it, why are you saying Biden said illegal, does illegal shit? We wish we wouldn't have, wouldn't have asked. We need, we, need, we need to ask this a different way. We need to put direct evidence into the question. In fact, I bet that's coming. Do you think in a court of law there is direct evidence that the judge will allow into the court showing blah blah? Look, Trump has it way worse than Biden. And speaking of that stuff, Rasmussen, which is a right-wing pollster, they came up with a follow-up poll on how America feels about Disney, you know, Walt Disney. And any left-wing polling agency knows you don't ask America how they feel about Disney. Like, you know, that's not going to help the not-so-secret gay agenda. Disney is the tip of the spear of taking high school girls from 50% not straight to 75% not straight. But anyways, 50% of Americans have a favorable view of Disney, and 40% have an unfavorable view. And in those categories, both of them have 20% very favorable and very unfavorable. Well, let's just say for and against. Unfavorable. That's a lot of syllables. So 50% for Disney, 40% against. And then they broke it down by gender, and it was under the age of 40, 60% of women are for Disney, 60% of men are against Disney. I don't know, but I don't think children were included in the polling. Now, the 20% of America that loves Disney, is that because they love how Disney is trying to turn the kids gay? Or, you know, maybe there are super conservative people who you know, whatever, have fond memories of going to Disneyland and they don't even know there's a controversy. Most people are actually aware now, but I don't know. I think the 20% that hates Disney, I would say, you know, are these like left-wing people who hate all corporations? I don't think it's that. So I think, I think 20% of America is like, we're not going to give Disney our money, which that's a big amount to lose for a company that's trying to sell stuff to the entire country. And their stock, Disney stock prices, It's the lowest it's been since February 2014, so almost 10 years. Um, It went under $80, which was considered a magical number. Like, no one knows for sure, but there's this theory that the big index funds had Disney at $80 buy. Anytime it went below $80, they would buy the stock. You know, their computer system was set up to just automatically do that. So it couldn't, couldn't really go below 80 because they would just buy a bunch of it every time it hit that number. And now, whatever their automatic buy number is, it's below 80. I mean, Disney's, it's a, Disney's like at 79.30 or something, 79.70. I think it fluctuated like that recently. And the Disney Plus Ahsoka TV show has been out long enough for us to like get some official ratings. It comes from Nielsen, which has a one-month lag. doesn't matter. Long story short, that show is not a barn burner. It's not turning Disney's frown upside down. You know, it's doing middling, maybe middling to low. And then Disney's Great White, Disney Plus's Great White Hype 
is coming out like right now, which is Loki season two, Marvel. Loki season one, I think was the most successful Star Wars, Marvel, anything that Disney Plus has had. So we don't know, we don't know. I think people have been getting pissed off at Disney more. It's been like two and a half years since Loki season one. I think people are getting pissed off has happened since then. So we will see. And you know, it depends if it's actually good. I, I don't know. Two of the people I watch on YouTube loved it, the ones that I figured would, and then one guy who plays it straight down the middle, he didn't like it. I didn't know. He was the guy, that's Dan Merle, if you want one of those reviewers. Um, he plays it straight down the middle. I'm like, if he likes it, then it's probably going to do well, and if he doesn't, then it probably won't, and he did not like it. But I guess it's not terrible, because the people you'd expect to like it, sometimes they don't, they don't like every single thing Disney Plus does, and this one they did like. I guess if it sounds good to you, yeah, check it out. And then a month or a month and a half, we'll figure the ratings and see if Disney has stopped any of the bleeding or not. The Biden administration seems to be building 20 miles of the wall, like Trump's the wall. And 3 million immigrants came over this year on paper. And then, I can't remember who said it, but someone I trust said that there was 3 million gotaways, which is the ones that... There is no paperwork, so 6 million people came over the border this year, past 12 months. And the question is, are the Democrats afraid of immigration so much, you know, in the next election, that they are actually going to do something about reducing it? And it's like, if you want to get a right-wing thing done, then you need to get the Democrats to do it. And if you want to get a left-wing thing done, you got to get the Republicans to do it. For instance, giving money to the rich, Republicans always want to do that. So if the Democrats, you know start it and push it forward, the Republicans ain't going to stop it, and then, you know, so Democrats can give money to the rich all they want, for instance. And so another supposedly right-wing thing is less immigration, although I think that Republican politicians support immigration because it reduces workers' power and wages, but if anyone ever had, like, the actual, they could do it if they wanted to reduce immigration, it would actually be Biden and the Democrats, because the Republicans would not stand in their way. So, so far, you know, it's just a hill of beans, but I watch NBC Nightly News every night, and they've been doing a lot of immigration stories. And the voiceover, you know, or kind of the, you know, the, the scripted part of the segments is, oh, you know, they, they find a good-looking young mother with a, you know, two toddlers, and she's fleeing a terrible situation, and isn't it wonderful, the new life she's going to have in America? Basically, they give it a positive spin. It's great. It's wonderful. Immigrants moving here. But it's a visual medium. And so while they're saying all that stuff, they're also showing video of, you know, <laughs> they wouldn't use this word, you know, hordes of people go coming across the border. And they got this clip. I don't know. I think it's New York. I don't know where these people are from. But it's all black men from Africa. Just like a ton of black men from Africa sitting on the sidewalk homeless somewhere and they like to show that clip so you know look at this lady and her nice little toddlers and then here's a picture of a ton of africans sitting on a sidewalk how'd you like to go down that sidewalk basically they're putting pro and anti-immigration stuff into their segments so immigration may be salient in this upcoming election which means that it matters which will be good for republicans let's talk about the word salient i guess it's an adjective but in Military talk, it's a noun. And Combat Veteran Reacts, a guy on YouTube, Combat Veteran Reacts, he's awesome. 
he breaks down the Ukraine war on a daily basis. And so a salient, a salient, like a, a thing, is anything, is any geographical thing that matters. At least I think. Usually it'll be like maybe a river, you know, that's like, oh, it's easy to defend this thing if, you know, if, if the enemy has to cross the river and you're on the, and you can defend the river, then the river is useful to you and it's a salient. And if the enemy gets on both sides of the river, then they took the salient from you. So rivers, um, hills, um, I think wind breaks, which is where the farmers build trees to stop the wind on their farms. And then anyways, that's where the soldiers all go and hide out. I guess here's the thing. I don't think a town or a city is called a salient, but I'm not sure. Oh, and no matter how true something is, it didn't happen until the New York Times said it happened. And this past week, they said the Ukraine war is a stalemate. The Ukraine counteroffensive didn't do nothing. The war is a stalemate. Their words. Oh, and Donald Trump has another court case going. The state of New York has taken him to civil court for exaggerating his wealth when he was applying for loans. He paid off all those loans and no one was hurt. But anyways, you know, Trump. So that means there's been, they're still going, four criminal indictments. He finished the other civil case where the woman accused him of rape and then defamation when he said he didn't rape her. And then the jury said he didn't rape her, but they convicted him of defamation. That was an interesting one. So four criminal, now two civil. I think for Trump, this is good. He needs, he needs more and more and more lawfare, legal warfare against him, showing that people are not playing fair. It's personal. It's deranged because he's got to be banking on the backlash against all this stuff. And you need, you know, you need the maximum possible to get the maximum possible backlash. And one super interesting thing to watch on that front is black people. It's possible that black people say the justice system has not treated black people fairly. The justice system is not treating Donald Trump fairly. Maybe we should be on the, you know, black people should be on the side of Donald Trump. It's an interesting theory, I believe with no evidence so far. The way the lying ass media lies, one of the ways, is you get a liar and you just let him come on your show and talk. America's racist! So this morning, NPR had some guy on and it was like, what if you want to tell the truth? Do you just get someone who tells the truth and you have them on your show? Like the media's forgotten how to tell the truth themselves? But they had a guy on who's like, uh, the Ukraine war cost this much money. It destroyed this amount of Russia's military. It was a great bargain. So now that the war is a stalemate officially, because the New York Times says it is, I'm going to be watching to see if there's a pivot. You know, like, oh, well, it's a stalemate. We'll never take the land back from Russia. But, you know, there's no amount of Russians you can't kill. So we got to support it for that reason. The jobs report for September came back with 300,000 extra jobs, which was bigger than anyone expected. So Democrats are like, this is great. But Mickey on the Non-Zero podcast, he said something that's obvious, but never thought of it. Compare the jobs number to the number of immigrants. So 300,000, 12 months, 3.6 million. We're definitely getting more than 3.6 million immigrants this year. Some of them are kids that don't work. I mean, we don't know the exact numbers. But back of the napkin, 
300,000 means, and that's considered a great, wonderful result, means less Americans are getting jobs than the previous month, and a bunch of the immigrants also are not getting jobs. The city of Chicago is now giving immigrants tents. I'm not sure, but I think they might be setting them up on the sidewalk. So like, that's the official, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know those tent, those homeless tent cities you didn't want? I think Chicago is building those on purpose. Maybe they're doing them in a park. Same thing. And even if you stop, if you make major changes, there's always gonna be a big lag. So this is gonna be interesting. Crow, a Democratic congressman from Colorado. We have spent about 5% of our annual defense budget. And with that money, the Ukrainians have destroyed over 60% of the Russian military. Now, if that's not a good bargain for the American taxpayer, I don't know what is. The Not Another Politics podcast has a guy on who wrote the book about the administrative state. So I'm going to listen and then summarize to you. You know, the best way to learn something is to be forced to teach it to someone else. And the Not Another Politics podcast is part of a bunch of podcasts produced by the University of Chicago. That's a top 10 school in America, and it's the closest thing we have to an anti-woke university, which just basically means they're not complete and utter liars for the left. So first off, I like to talk about the deep state, but that makes you sound like a conspiracy nut. So I guess the better phrasing is administrative state. That's the federal government bureaucracy down to the federal dog catcher up to the secretary of state who's, you know, overthrowing governments in Ukraine. Actually, I'm not sure about that. You might have to go a few layers down below the secretary of state. But recently I was talking about the myth of left and right where the so-called left and so-called right, they flip-flop on their positions. They don't have any, they don't really have deeply held beliefs pretty much other than they stick together as a group. The best example is support for American involvement in foreign wars. Before World War II, the right wing was against it. And after World War II, the left wing became the one that was against it. And then most recently with Ukraine, it flipped again and now the right is against it and the left is for it. And the concept of left and right came from France a couple hundred years ago, didn't get to America until the 1920s or something. And then the ball really got rolling with Roosevelt and the New Deal. And that was when America got truly divided left and right. If you supported the New Deal, you were left. If you opposed it, you were right. And the New Deal changed America and it was the beginning of the administrative state. And I believe it was a reaction to the Great Depression. The Great Depression started in 1929. The story of the New Deal that I'm going to relay from this podcast to you uh, picks up in 1938. So I'm making this part up, but obviously Lincoln was a Republican, therefore politicians in the South were Democrats. And so somehow Roosevelt's left wing, because they invented the concept for America then, party, the Democrat party, included the Southern Democrats in it. But they were right wing. They opposed the New Deal. And so it came down to a state's rights situation. So I wish I could make a final pronouncement on the Civil War right here, right now, then you and I, we could all know the truth, but I'm still not clear on it. You know, about slavery, how much it was about slavery, how much it was about states' rights. You know, how racist was the South? In my experience, accusations of racism are always exaggerated. 
It's basically by definition. Accusations of racism is a power move. When person or entity A calls thing B a racist, it's so that A can get more power over B, to decrease B's power and give it to A. And there's no amount of power that isn't good. So, you know, if you can, if A can call B, you know, say B is a five on the five on a 10 point racism scale. But if A calls them 10 out of 10 racist, they get the power over them. Then obviously you're just going to say, oh, they're 10 out of 10 racist. What is that? It's not motivations, motivations, it's incentives. If you want to understand how com complex things in the world work, look for the incentives. So I'm going to make up some more stuff, but it seems like states' rights is about power also. People in the South like states' rights because they want to control themselves. They want that power. And then people in the North, they don't want states' rights. Basically, the North wants to control the South. They're willing to give up some of their control of their own state if they can have control of those other states down South. And I do think it is definitely a big part of everything. The states in the South, they want to treat black people the way that they want. I mean, I'm sure sometimes, all the time, anyways, they want to treat black people poorly. But however they want to treat them, they want to decide for themselves. Basically, treat them nice, treat them mean. Either way, want to decide how to treat them. Probably treat them mean. And so that's what came up in the Civil War. But also, they could see if an administrative state was created all across the country in 1938, once again, they wouldn't be able to control their own destiny and treat black people the way they want and whatever else they wanted to control. You know, power. Again, always power. And so in 1938, Roosevelt tried to do, I'm not sure what they call it, the Great Purge, which was to get everyone who was against the New Deal in the Democratic Party replaced by someone who was for it. Basically replaced the politicians in the South. But this purge failed. Roosevelt's idea was that if he could totally control the Democratic Party, then he could control all of America. And, you know, create stuff that we like today, like Social Security. But he couldn't get it done, so they had to think of something else to do. And so what the idea they came up with was make the president more powerful. So in America, up to that point, sometimes the president was super powerful, sometimes he wasn't. It came and went. I guess Lincoln was one of the most powerful presidents. They, call, they said he was a constitutional dictator. And this is not right-wing fever dream. I guess it's just, you know, you get extra powers during a big-ass civil war. So if you can't control the party, then make the presidency the be-all, end-all. Another example of an extremely powerful president was Andrew Jackson. And so I'm not going to remember these names. You don't have to remember them either. But... The Brownlow Committee and the Executive Reorganization Act. Those were the things to make the president more powerful. So how was the president not powerful? You know, I don't understand. Well, so America, remember, it has three branches, separation of powers. It has the legislative branch. It has the judicial branch and the executive branch, which today is just Congress courts president. And apparently the president didn't control the executive branch before 38. I mean, that's Department of Justice, probably Department of Defense. I'm seeing a pattern. It's the departments. So don't quote me, but something like the, in quotes, the office of the White House, in quote, was created and it was in control of the departments. 
trying to think of some departments. Uh, I think Department of the Interior controls all the land in America, like, you know, Forest Service, um, BLM, the other BLM, Bureau of Land Management. I mean, where I live, 90% of the land within a few miles of me is Bureau of Land Management land. I mean, now we got a million departments. They, they create them whatever they want. Department of Homeland Security is a recent one. You get it. So there's three branches. The judicial branch, the court branch, was fighting Roosevelt. He wanted to control the regulations in America, and the president didn't. And they, and they said he couldn't. I mean, nowadays, that'd be like the Environmental Protection Agency. I don't know what it was in 38, but the president didn't control it. And quick aside, this year, the Supreme Court is looking at whether or not the president can control all the regulation agencies. No, that's not right. They're looking at whether or not the regulation agencies can actually regulate all the stuff that they're regulating. And the Supreme Court may say they can't. Like, all these giant agencies may have to give up, like, 90% of the power that they have. If it wasn't spe specifically outlined in a congressional law, then they can't control it. And right now, almost everything that they control and regulate, you know, related to environment, whatever, uh, is not in a piece of legislation specifically. All right, that's too much. I'm sure I'm going to be talking about that later this year when the Supreme Court gets to it. Okay, the purge thing was called the purge campaign. That failed. There was some sort of court packing thing, which I believe also failed. But anyway, somehow Roosevelt got over on the courts. Anyways, the Executive Reorganization Act, that thing did happen, and it did work out good for him. I think that's, that's our administrative state, deep state. And so by 1940, Roosevelt had the power that he wanted. And that was his third term. He, he, uh, he ran and won four times. And so what was the reason for all this stuff? Basically, normally when you pass some laws, the problem is if the next elections you lose, then those guys will come and unpass your laws. So Congress creates Social Security, but you don't want the next Congress to overturn it. They create Social Security, and then they give it to be administrated by the president. And then somehow that locks it in. And I just kind of realized, you know, 1938, 1940, this is getting ready for World War II stuff. It's probably already happening over in Europe by 40, I think. America's going to need a real strong president for that. Never waste a crisis. And I guess the New Deal, what it was really about Social Security. I think he wanted to do some other stuff that was like, crazy big ideas that failed. But anyways, Social Security was the big idea. This is where you tax, you take taxes in, and then you give it to people. Like, you know, you redistribute wealth. Basically, you take money from the people you want to take it from, and you give money to the people you want to give it to. And that's the start of a, the federal government doing that stuff. And doing it on a huge, enormous scale and tons, absolutely tons of money. And so that makes sense. That's why that's left wing. I mean, you know, that's, I support Social Security or whatever, but, you know, it's similar to, well, it is, it's socialism. Something the commies like. And so I guess 1940, this is when the federal government became left wing. And I don't know if the, if the feds have always been left wing. I mean, if they stayed left wing all the way from then till today, they certainly are today. But anyways, back to this purge. So he was, doing, he was going to do this giant purge that failed. He was going to replace all the anti-New Deal politicians with pro-New Deal politicians, but it didn't work. But basically, those pro-New Deal politicians and people 
Like that was Roosevelt's friends, you know, the, whatever. That was his supporters. That was the people he liked. And if he couldn't give them power through the Democratic Party, what he did is he gave them all jobs in the federal government. So these agencies and administrations and departments or whatever, he filled them with pro-New Deal left-wing people. And again, left-wing means something a little different back then. It means you want to take, from some pe- take money from some people and give money to other people. It doesn't mean that you're pro-choice or pro-gay marriage. I mean, no one was pro that shit back then. You know, want to turn the kids gay? Nope, they hadn't invented that yet. So the New Deal did two things for the president. It created the welfare state, Social Security. And in the 60s, you'd have real welfare and Medicare. And it gave the president control of the military. I guess he didn't have that power before. So, take money from some people and give money to who you want, plus control of the military. That's the New Deal. I mean, if you look at the federal budget, that's like such a huge amount of it. You know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and, the, and, de, and defense spending. Like, that's all the money. That's the shebang. I was going to say that's too much information and give up, but all right, no, we got to keep going. So World War II happens, something happens to Roosevelt, Eisenhower is the, is the new president. If you remember, he was the general of World War II for America, and then he became president. And he's a Republican. Republicans want a smaller government. They, they would like to destroy Social Security or whatever, get rid of it. But so, But anyways, things back then are the same as they are today, which is that... It's political suicide to try and get rid of Social Security. People like it. So unless I hear otherwise, it sounds like about 1940 is when things got the way they are, and they've just been like that ever since. Left-wing administrative state, government, and you can't stop Social Security because it's political suicide. Just whatever. Uh, Things are as they were before, so are they today or something. And so Eisenhower, he's the party that wants to get rid of Social Security, but in fact, he expands it. I've forgotten this, but they had, Social Security had not applied to farm workers and domestic workers. You know, what the hell does that mean? That's black people and women. And Social Security, right, is you have a job, you pay money into it every month, and then when you're old, you get money back. So I think the farm worker thing, that was just like, purely, just don't give it to black people. Probably that's going to piss off the Southern Democrats or something. We need to, you know, to pass this bill, we got to keep black people out. That's my guess. And then women, you know, back then they were in the home, barefoot and pregnant. They're actually old and barren by the time they need social security. But I guess the idea was, oh, your husband worked hard. He gets the money and he'll take care of you. Yeah. What if you got a dead husband? What if you'd like to finally leave your husband? That bastard's been not picking up his socks for 40 years. Anyways, I think, you know, there's a minimum for Social Security, even if you never worked, and so, or, you know, never paid into it, I should say. Raising children is work, I know, ladies. I sure as hell don't want to do it. However much money we have to give women so that they deal with the little snotty brats, it's worth it. Anyways, Roosevelt made it so that women who were at home and then needed money when they were old and retired, like everyone else uh, got money. Okay, Social Security started in 1935. Apparently there was three new deals. I'm not going to go into all that. I think the beginning of the, what I'm saying here picks up at the second new deal or something. Nope, that's right. Okay, so the first new deal was Social Security. 
The second New Deal was the administrative state so that, so that people couldn't undo Social Security. And so Eisenhower, that was the last chance for the left to be for Social Security and for the right to be against it. And we would maybe get rid of Social Security. But anyways, Eisenhower made it so that the left and the right now support, support Social Security. He, he bridged a divide or something. All right, on to the early 60s. Kennedy is assassinated. And LBJ, he wants to out Roosevelt Roosevelt. So he creates welfare-style welfare, environmental protection agency stuff. Basically, stuff for the poor, stuff for blacks, stuff for just controlling companies. So Eisenhower brought left and right together. Everyone liked Social Security. And then the big thing that he was into was he created the interstate highway system, possibly the biggest you know, project ever in the history of the planet. And LBJ brought a bunch of race, you know, racial, racial stuff into his stuff, and that drove the left and right back apart. Southern Democrats were right, Northern Democrats were left. And this is probably the beginning of Southern Democrats turning into the Republicans that we have today. Yeah, so this is more of the myth and left, of left and right. So the right was against big government and social security in the 40s. And then in the 50s, they said, fine, we like it. And then in the 60s, they say, okay, we like social security, but we don't like, you know, this other stuff where you tax people and give money to whoever. So it's not a deeply held belief. It's just, you know, who do you want to tax and who do you want to give the money to? And then people will decide if they're left or right. And today, Trump is, you know, supposedly far right. But uh, he said, we're not going to touch Social Security. That was kind of the... The big difference between Trump in 2016 and the people before him was he's like, we will never touch Social Security. And now people on the far, you know, so-called far right are like, yeah, we're never going to touch that. And I think they still don't like welfare to this day. And so Nixon comes along and Ronald Reagan before he became president and they're against big government. But it's too late. Basically, Eisenhower... That was the last chance for people on the right to disassemble the giant bureaucracy. This podcast I'm listening to, they mention deep state. They say that Reagan didn't call it the deep state, but he was against it. And you know, now in 2020, 2020? Yeah, the deep state uses social media to rig the election against Trump because I guess they think he's a threat. And Vivek Ramaswamy is trying to be the Republican president, and he's running on disassembling the deep state. I'm like, sounds good to me, but apparently we already had, we already elected presidents to do that, including Ronald Reagan, who was in there for eight years, had total support of the whole country and whatever, more power than probably any president will have today, and he couldn't do it, so it's probably impossible. I mean, you know, can Trump do it? I doubt it. We'll see. I mean, can Trump disassemble the deep state? Well, so far, the deep state has disassembled Trump. So LBJ's thing was called the Great Society. So you had the New Deal in the 30s and 40s, and in the 60s, you had the Great Society. And the Great Society, it was going to turn black people's frown upside down. And it didn't exactly work. And this guy who wrote the book on the podcast, he says that any time that expectations are high and you don't meet them, then that's when you're going to get inner city riots. And like the second half of the 60s was just massive 
you know, black people burning down their own neighborhoods that didn't get rebuilt until gentrification like 15 years ago. But anyways, it's not because no one was helping black people in the 60s. It was because they tried to help black people and they couldn't do it. And he says, anytime that happens, you'll get riots. And that's interesting. I'm not convinced. I mean, we just had a shitload of riots in 2020. Does that apply there? Well, maybe. Black Lives Matter riots, right? That was... The idea was that racist cops were hunting unarmed black men, which I've talked about. That is not true. That's not a true thing. But maybe the expectations were, we're going to stop racist cops from hunting black men. And because it isn't a real thing that isn't happening, you can't meet those. You can't stop it. You can't stop a thing that ain't happening. And so we did not meet expectations. Therefore, burn. Burn, baby, burn. I mean, I'm not convinced. But anyways, maybe. That's a theory. I mean, the idea that the cops are so racist is a lie that comes from the left-wing media. So maybe the expectation was that the left-wing media would stop lying and saying that the cops are racist. That was the expectation, and the expectation was not met. They kept lying and saying that the cops are racist, and then burn, baby, burn. I don't know, I'm warming to this. Well, so the riots made people vote for Nixon. Basically, left-wing riots, right-wing president. We may be having that coming here in 2024, or else the chance for that was 2020 and it didn't work. But Nixon came in, he was that version, he was the version of right wing that they had back then, but he wasn't really right wing. And he didn't try and take down the whole administrative deep state. And then Reagan, he was right wing that way, and he, but instead of, he knew, I guess he knew he couldn't take it down, whatever. Instead of taking it down, he's just like, I'm gonna use it for my own right-wing ends. And, you know, I'm an old-school lefty. I used to hate Reagan, but the more I've learned, you know, Bill Clinton, I think, was actually farther to the right than Ronald Reagan. Bill Clinton is the one who shipped all of our jobs overseas to make the rich richer, and he's the one who did welfare reform, which kicked people off of welfare better than, you know, Reagan and Bush were talking about the black welfare queens, but they didn't do nothing. Bush Sr. Like Obama was going to do single-payer health care for all, I mean, Obamacare is just a, it's just a law written by the health insurance companies. That's what passes for left wing with Obama. Corporations control all. I guess basically, and then like the Bushes are not very right wing. Basically, the presidents, the left, the Democrat presidents and the Republican presidents, they're all basically the same. And it's because the deep state controls all. You know, or the oil companies, or Big Pharma, or the banks. I mean, it's the conglomeration of all those powerful people. Until today, Joe Biden, Democrat, supposedly on the left, is a huge warmonger and has given more money to the rich than probably every president before him combined. I'm exaggerating, but he's giving more money to the rich than any president ever, by far. Way more than supposedly right-wing Trump did before him. Although Trump also gave money to the rich. All right, I'm going to stop. I don't want, <laughs> I think I've listened to 20 minutes of this podcast, which has made me talk for a half hour. I'm going to, I'm going to stop now. Let's talk AI. A few months ago, I made some sort of bet or prediction that if AI can make a big scientific advancement possible in the first year, then the whole world, you know, everything's going to change. This is the real deal, you know, get ready for the future. And when I said that, I think I'd already moved the goalposts. Basically put them on, I think, January 1st. I think 
AI came out in, it came out, I don't know, maybe September. I mean, it may be a year ago now, but I don't think I was aware of it then. It hadn't blown up, you know, in the media and the consciousness, the false consciousness of the proletariat until sometime this year. But the scientific breakthrough thing is not looking that great. The best ones I've heard of is I think they've made a new kind of antibiotic. Like you might have heard stories in the last couple decades about how antibiotic resistant, what, bacteria, anyways, diseases are going to kill us all, bacteria, not viruses. Well, I don't think we're going to be hearing those stories anymore. It looks like AI has already started to solve that problem and is, that's an easy problem for AI to solve. It's going to be maybe the first major problem for AI to solve and it's going to solve it. Probably not in that one year time frame. But I follow AI pretty closely. I was actually doing AI in graduate school like 20 years ago until my life went to shit. So now I just watch it from afar. But I probably put in, I don't know, two or three hours of what's the latest thing in AI per week. If you want to keep up, I, I recommend Matt Wolf on YouTube and the AI Breakdown podcast. But AI stuff seemed to have slowed down. You know, maybe this isn't the greatest newfangled slice of bread about two months ago. But I would say in the last two months, and especially the last month, it's just, yeah, I think it's going to be faster than I thought. Stuff is happening faster than I thought. And I was going to, I thought it was going to happen fast as hell. Like, you know, stuff that can be done now is you can make your own music with, you know, the voice of Michael Jackson, you know, the music of Led Zeppelin, all, whatever. I already talked about that. I made a song for this podcast. So you can make music with AI, any kind you want. People are starting to make videos, like not two-hour movies, but, I don't know, several-minute videos. AI requires computers, which requires electricity, which requires money. So you can't do that for free like the music. But, uh, I don't know, there's some... I can't remember the guy's name, a YouTube channel. He did uh, Star Wars in the style of Wes Anderson, if you know that director. It's a few minutes long. Uh, you might look that up. Pretty crazy. But anyways, AI can do video now. It ain't right, but also we're in the first year. AI's been able to make images, but what it couldn't do was text. You know, like, well, anyways, it couldn't make any image you wanted because if you wanted text in your image, it couldn't do that. But they pretty much solved that just, just in the last month. So you can make a totally realistic picture of Obama wearing a Make America Great Again hat now. And I think this is not available to the public just yet, but you know, whenever they show this stuff, it usually hits public consumption a few months later, but ChatGPT can now look at images, talk to you about it with text, and then also talk to you in a voice. Basically, it can see, it can read, it can talk. They had a presentation where someone was using it to help them raise the seat on a bicycle. They're like, how do you raise the seat on the bicycle? It's like, oh, well, you go and pull the lever to loosen the post-holding thing, and then you lift up. And then the person's like, there is no le- oh, they, there is no lever. So they took a picture of the bike, you know, at the, the seat bike interface, and they gave the picture to the AI, and the AI's like, oh, that one doesn't have a lever. That one's going to take an Allen wrench. Go find one of those. Well, that exaggerates how well it did. So AI is really large language models. There's many types of AI. What we talk about, you know, the, the amazing thing that talks like a human is a large language model, LLM. 
And I think because they're an LLM, they like to talk, talk and talk and talk. Like what you want, what you wanted it to say was, that doesn't have a lever. Go, that's an Allen wrench. That's an Allen head bolt. Go get an Allen wrench. But it said that in you know multiple paragraphs. The information was in there, but it's multiple paragraphs. So, anyways, that's something that they have not figured out yet. Was how do you shorten this shit? If you go use it like me, you're like, God damn it, shorten it. I mean, you're always telling. That's what you always say. You're like, give me a short answer, and now here's my question. You know, we shouldn't have to say that every time. But you can see, in principle, you're going to be able to point your phone at your car, and your phone is going to be able to tell you how to fix your car. I mean, basically, it's hard to even imagine how that, all the things that could open up. But, you know, basically, you'll be able to point your phone's camera at whatever, and then you'll be able to get any kind of information you want about that whatever situation. It could be like Cyrano de Bergerac telling you how to neg a girl and pick her up. I mean, everything about a human being is focused towards reproduction by our DNA, so. Well, and Facebook's AI is, now it's, now it'll talk to you as if it's a certain celebrity. I think, you know, basically they, they paid Dwayne The Rock Johnson a bunch of money, and now the AI will talk to you as if it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And they got some Asian celebrity chef, if you want to talk about food, you get the idea. So you definitely need to know the acronym LLM, Large Language Model. But something else it looks like it can do is self-driving cars. Like Elon Musk at Tesla, he's been saying, we're six months away from a car that'll let you sleep on the whole ride. And he's been saying that for, I don't know, five, ten years. But a Tesla, it can see the world around it. It can be like, there's a person there, there's a pedestrian on a bicycle, there's a truck, there's three cars, there's a light. It can see all that stuff. And so this may take a while, but what seems to work good is like the car, you know, the car doesn't know, oh, there's a person up there. What's that person going to do? The car runs its, what it sees in the world through an LLM and says, hey, what do you think that person's going to do? And the LLM is like, oh, well, they're probably going to stay on the sidewalk or they're probably going to, you know, that's a kid. They might jump out in front of you or whatever. Anyways, and it makes decision making for the car a lot better, basically. Elon may have been promising something that was impossible until LLMs were invented, but now they are. But I watch YouTube channels of people taking their Tesla out and letting it drive and seeing, you know, how, how long it can drive and what it can deal with before it, you have to take over before it kills you. And there was an update, you know, there would be these updates, you're like, oh, is this the one that's going to work? You know, okay, 11.3 didn't work. How about 11.4? Well, that's getting better. How about 11.4.b? How about 11.4.b.2? Anyways, what has not come out to the general public is version 12. But so version 12 is supposedly end-to-end -end AI. This is a phrase you're going to start hearing. Not end-to-end -end encryption, end-to-end -end AI. So the Tesla car, it used to be 300,000 lines of handwritten code. Now it's a neural network. And basically it's just... A bunch of video in, the car is driving itself out. Input, output. Neural net in the middle. And so it's kind of like magic, but magic that actually works and exists. LLMs are the internet in, an AI that talks to you out. And they didn't even know they were making that. They were, everyone was, the people making the AI were just as shocked as anyone else 
when they did it and it and that's what happened they didn't know so the hope is that's how you do a self-driving car it's just magic video in driving car out but you can see you know video is better than pictures now it's, you know a normal person can't do this you got to have a warehouse of computers probably to run it currently but you know if you're fixing your bicycle what you really like to do is just put your phone on a tripod and have the AI watch you the whole time and be like giving you suggestions as you go you want video in it's happening you can't do it yourself but you know that's the holy grail video in just like a human being your eyes go in with the information to your brain and then your hands do something out and we don't know this for sure but I think Tesla and their self-driving car I don't think they were planning on doing a pure AI input output thing but the LLMs came out they're like holy crap that works and so they've switched over you know it's how which company can switch over fastest to doing it and probably Tesla can but you know they've only been doing it for you know since January probably and then Tesla recently came out with a video of their Tesla bot uh, what do they call it Optimus doesn't matter Tesla bot which is a humanoid robot it's got five fingers it's got everything it's the size of a human shape of a human they've been working on it for two years but I think it's basically it's the same thing as a self-driving car anyways the Tesla bot is now end-to-end -end AI and they have this video of it where they gave it a giant pile of, or a pile of giant Lego blocks of two colors and then they had a they had two bins on each side of the pile and it just it would pick up the blue a blue one and put it in one bin and pick up the green one and put it in the other bin until the whole thing was sorted and again supposedly not supposedly supposedly all they did was give the robot a video of a human sorting out large Lego blocks and then it could do it so AI coming to take human jobs it looks like it's gonna be sooner than you think and it'll be easier to have an AI that you know writes divorce papers specific to you and your soon-to-be ex-wife and the state that you live in and the number of kids and the house and how you're gonna divide stuff like that's gonna happen before an AI robot goes in and replaces the burger flipper at McDonald's but both of those things are gonna happen basically it's gone from a physics problem to an engineering problem there's a physics podcast I listen to called Daniel and Jorge explain the universe you might check it out if you do always go to the middle of the episode and, and listen to the second half because the first half is a bunch of stupid banter but one of the guys is a physicist the other guy has a PhD in robotics and it's basically has have physicists figured out the something enough that they can then pass it off to the engineer to actually design something to solve the situation like you know humans traveling to a distant star you know in their lifetime that's still a physics problem engineer you know they don't we don't know how to do that we need like antimatter rocket engines or something well nuclear of some sort but then maybe you know how about putting solar panels in space and then beaming the electricity down to earth so that we can power everything well physicists have figured out all the little components of that so it becomes an engineering problem you know it's going to cost a million trillion dollars to do it it'll take a million thousand engineering man hours to figure it out but you know it basically it's rockets solar panels and then the way to beam electricity we've got all those things 
it's not feasible. We're never going to do it, but it's an engineering problem. We know how it would be done. And so AI, specifically with these LLMs, it's changed almost everything that we want to do from a physics problem to an engineering problem. Like to exaggerate, if, you know, if every human being on the planet Earth had their own dedicated warehouse full of computers and we covered the Earth with a million gigabit you know, Wi-Fi or 5G, 10G, and then you just integrate cameras and screens into your clothing and everywhere you go, the AI sees everything around you and can tell you everything you want to know. I mean, you know, maybe, but it looks like it. Well, and the thing that I hear about on my AI breakdown podcast and whatnot a lot is they're trying to make the LLMs smaller. You can't have your own computer warehouse. So everyone's trying to figure out how to create an AI that will fit on your three-year-old phone. And they're making very fast progress at it. We don't know if that's a, you know, if that's a, if it's physics and it may be impossible, but you know, that's kind of the, that's one of the next steps. And the Economics Explained podcast was talking about what happens when robots can do every single human job. I think the title was, Does the World Need Consumers? Or maybe the world doesn't need them. Anyways, like the idea is, well, sure, the robots can make anything you want. You know, you fill the factories with robots and the mines, right? They mine it, they build it, they ship it, they whatever it. But humans are going to be okay because you need someone to buy that stuff. And so the quick answer to that that people have is, well, okay, universal basic income. Elon Musk invents the robots. The robots take everyone's jobs. The federal government taxes Elon Musk, gives it to the people, and then whatever. You can still buy stuff. And then, you know, does the federal government start giving money to people in Africa who also don't have a job? Do they get just as much as an American? Anyways, we don't know about none of that. Well... What it means is, we're going to have to have one world government. Not because of starving Africans, no one cares about that, but because of taxation. So, you know, in this, in this hypothetical, so Elon Musk and his investors, they own all the robots, they get all the money, and then you tax them. But what if another country says, hey, come to our country, we'll give you a lower tax rate. And he's like, you know, I can't build robots in the Bahamas. But hey, Germany, China, Japan, any of you guys want to give us a lower tax rate? You know, Germany's like, we'll do 20% and no VAT tax. And China's like, we'll do 15% and no other tax, period. And then probably what really happens there is you just go to America and say, look what these other countries will do. We want 10. And America's like, fine. And then a few years later, you go... Hey China, hey Germany, hey Japan, any of you guys got a better offer again? And you hear like, oh, five, three, fine, zero. No taxes at all. You just got to provide a few perfectly human-like sex robots for the people in power. And so, you know, the way to solve that that I, I can see is you just have one government, you know, or maybe a couple. You have, you know, one in Washington, D.C., one in Beijing, and those two places rule each half of the world. And then do you go to war or are people like, ah, it's fine, I'm, I'm gonna go home. My sex robot's been nagging me and she can do it superhumanly well. I guess I'm not the only one who thinks that AI is getting better faster. A couple financial entities published reports about that recently. So Sequoia, which is I think the biggest 
venture capital firm in Silicon Valley, you know, they like get in early on, who knows what, Google, Facebook, whatever. They start all the famous companies you heard of. Well, last year they did a projection on how fast AI is gonna get good. And they said a bunch of things, but I remember on writing, they said by 2025, AI will be able to write as good as an average person. And by 2030, AI will be able to write as good as a professional writer. So that's what they said last year. And this year, they didn't give dates, but they revised it and said that it looks like AI is going to get there a hell of a lot faster. So seven, and I think that's right. I think, I think AI is going to, you know, put writing out of business, basically period, uh, I think about three years. They were saying seven. So let's, you know, let's, let's take that down to about three years. And then some institution that does global economic forecasts, can't remember who, said that AI will be, 44% of workers will have some sort of AI in their job in three years to the tune of $4 trillion globally. I don't know if that means $4 trillion worth of people, workers are replaced, but if that does, that would be something like maybe one in 50 workers across the planet are going to lose their jobs to AI. I mean, I think that if, if I'm doing my math right and it's one in 50 is their guess, then I think it's easily going to be that. Well, you know, Scott Adams said something fun, funny the other day. He's like, there's one job that is, will never be taken over by AI, and that's crime. And if you're like a homeless fentanyl addict in San Francisco who steals toiletries from Walgreens and then gives it to a fence who sells it all on eBay and Amazon, um, yeah, I don't think AI is going to put you out of business. I mean, AI could catch you, oh, with facial recognition. We already caught these people. We just let them go. So, yeah. Hey, there you go. Get into crime. Joe Biden has a German shepherd named Commander, and it's known for biting Secret Service agents and apparently other White House staff. And it's done it more than 10 times. So somewhere in the, you know, 15 to 100 bite range, it was time for the dog did not stay at the White House. Your dog's still alive, Timmy. He just went to live at a farm in the country. But the Commentary Magazine podcast was talking about it, and pretty funny. Here's a clip. Dating dogs, and they, they have do to be not well like strangers. Yeah, I am going like strangers. to malign German Shepherds. No, no, no. They can <laughs> I'm be now crazy. going to explain why I'm going to malign German Shepherds. So when I was growing up, I grew up in an apartment building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I lived on the sixth floor. There was one elevator that went down from the 13th floor, which is called T, because, of course, it was bad luck to have a 13-story building. Nonetheless, they built a 13-story building. T down to one. And so on the 12th floor was a gentleman named Mr. Stewart. And Mr. Stewart had two German shepherds. And if you were waiting in the elevator hallway, press, pressing the button for the elevator to come down from above you, what you heard was deranged barking. As the elevator came closer and closer, the barking <laughs> got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And then the elevator door would open and these two German shepherds of yeah. Mr. Stewart's would lunge out at you because obviously they didn't like being in the elevator. And then you would have to get in the elevator, and I'm talking about being five years old, six years old, get into the elevator and like sneak around the German shepherds while they continued to bark. And Mr. Stewart, as the elevator door would then close and you were quaking in terror, Mr. Stewart would say the following. 
Now girls, now <laughs> girls, girls, calm down. And then you go from six to one, elevator door would open, the German Shepherds would get out. I'm with Matt. German Shepherds, bad, bad. No, okay, bad German no. That's, they you just, just need, they need well-trained. They need to be well-trained. That's all. You, you okay. just described uh, life at the White House. So a person in Britain got killed by a dog recently. The type of dog was a American Bully XL, which I think is a cross between a pit bull in America and then a Staffordshire Terrier. If you've never seen a Staffordshire Terrier, look up a picture of them. They're like a pit bull on steroids. Their head is huge. And so a recent episode of Blocked and Reported podcast, Katie did a bunch of research into our American bully XLs, you know, more dangerous than a normal dog going around murdering people in Britain because, I don't know, the media over there, that's what they're saying is going on in Britain. Like, it ain't just the one person who died, that's the latest person. And I didn't listen to that podcast, but I listened to the one after that where apparently the listeners did a huge backlash because Katie did the research and she found out that it's inconclusive whether or not these dogs are extra vicious or something like that. And, you know, that podcast is always talking about transgender stuff. They'll talk about race. They talk about everything. But the biggest controversy where their listeners got the most pissed off ever by a factor of who knows what was when she basically was saying these aren't bad dogs. And so the first half of my life, I thought that it was all about training. You know, there's no bad dogs. It was just bad owners. And then I met some people who were raising pit bulls and were selling them. And they had three kinds of pit bulls. They had pit bulls that could be around other animals and people. They had pit bulls that could be around people, but not other animals. And then they had one pit bull that could not be around people or animals because it would attack. That dog was Harley. They kept him in their bedroom and never let him out unless they had him on a leash because he would attack, you know, kids, adults, you know, cats, whatever. So naturally, that was the sire. That was the dad of every pit bull that they raised. And it was a crapshoot. Like, like I say, you know, some of the kids would be fine around people and in particular cats and then some of the kids would just try and kill a cat every time but they were okay around kids anyways just because the dad would attack anything that moved didn't make the kids like that but i think that was the goal so i was at their house one time i was in the living room watching tv or the tv was on and there was a cat in the living room a dog in the living room and me and no one else around and that dog looked at me and it took a few steps towards the cat and it stopped, and it looked at me. I didn't know what was going on. I did nothing, I just watched it. And it took a few more steps towards the cat. It stopped, it looked at me, I looked at it. It said, okay, and it took a few more steps towards the cat. It did that about five times until it got up to the cat and it put its muzzle against the cat. It looked at me out of the corner of its eye to see if I would do anything. I didn't do anything, and then in an absolute split second, it grabbed that cat by the scruff of the neck and shook it with the intent of snapping the cat's neck and killing it, but the cat's skin ripped instead, and so it just ripped the skin on the cat's neck, and then there was blood flying everywhere, and that cat took off and went and hid underneath some furniture so the dog couldn't get it. 
So there's an interesting nature-nurture thing about dogs. Nature is how you train them. Is it your, you know, do you, is this dog biting little kids because you didn't train them right? And that's nurture is wrong, or is it nature is wrong because this is a dog that just bites little kids? I mean, and I don't say that's a dog's fault. I, you know, in any situation, it's not the dog's fault. If you take a little kid to the zoo and you, you know, help him over the fence into the lion cage and the lion eats them, uh, it's not the lion's fault. So nature nurture with dogs makes me think of nature nurture with people like, you know, is that criminal just a bad person or are they committing crimes because of systemic racism? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't think that dogs should be banned. That's what they're talking about doing in Britain. I think California's already banned pit bulls. Years ago, the number one dog for biting people was German Shepherd. I think that was before pit bulls got so popular. I think Labrador Retrievers are known for biting people, so, you know, it doesn't... Whatever. It's not like, oh, that bad kind of dog over there, and my kind of dog is the good kind of dog. You may find that your kind of dog is not that great. I got a little Chihuahua mix, and he bit my buddy, so I think little dogs are... And the one time I got bit was by a little dog. Little dogs are maybe the most bitey. doesn't kill anyone, but it, they're bitey. I was going to say... Keep all dogs legal. It's not the dog's fault. It's the owner's fault. Put the owner down. But then I just remembered my little story where my dog bit someone. So, I don't know. I guess it's just that thing, you know. Raise everyone's taxes and then give the money directly to me. That's what I support. The latest non-zero podcast has a long discussion on what would happen if China invades Taiwan. And I guess this stuff is usually classified, but someone did a computer simulation, or thousands of them, and, you know, wrote a paper about what would happen, and they released it to the public. And their worst-case scenario was that America would lose one-third of its aircraft and one-third of its navy. And they were pro-America rah-rah, so they're like, that's the worst case. It's going to go a lot better than that. And all that was in the first five weeks of the war. They didn't run their simulations past that. But some interesting facts... You can't send your aircraft carriers because China will just hit it with a missile and that's 5,000 young Americans under the waves. China is 90 miles away from Taiwan, so it's easy for them to do stuff. America is 8,000 miles. You know, we got army bases on Japan, Philippines, Guam, which is basically part of America. But even all those, they're so far away that like fighter jets would have to be refueled to go fight in the war. So they can't just you can't just send fighter jets from the land into the war just straight away and then fly back. And they said so China would invade Taiwan, but they would not attack any American stuff. They would let America attack them and then they would just bomb all the bases on Japan, Philippines, Guam, etc. They would turn everything to glass, the guy said. So what does America have that's awesome or that will work? Uh, it's submarines. But our submarines, they carry 30 weapons. 30 cru- cruise missiles, 30 torpedoes. Not 30 of each, 30 total. And America has maybe 15 submarines, so you can see, and we wouldn't send them all there. But anyways, that's, that's how much firepower we have. And the computer simulation people, they think that American bombers would work good. They can fly farther and bomb... The guys on the podcast were like, I don't think bombers are going to work that good. 
So you can decide for yourself on that. Basically, either America has only one thing that'll work good, submarines, or it has two things that'll work good, submarines and bombers. But there ain't nothing else after that. Big ships ain't gonna work, fighter jets ain't gonna work. And so I think even in this pro-war simulation, step one is China destroys Taiwan. Step two is America attacks China. I mean, basically it's not, we're not doing this stuff to save Taiwan before the attack or what, you get the idea. I guess it's just, hey China, you don't get to keep this completely destroyed Taiwan. And Taiwan makes all the computer chips, especially the ones that are gonna be for AI, and so it's very strategically important. And so, you know, either maybe China, you know, China will maybe accidentally destroy these super fancy computer chip factories. And if they don't destroy those computer chip factories, while we're saving Taiwan, we're gonna blow those factories up in case it doesn't work out. So either way, don't go hide in the computer chip factories. And don't quote me on these numbers, but I think 800 fighter jets destroyed would be one third of America's jets. So I guess we have 2,400. Well, that part's right. And then this part I can't remember, but maybe 30 big ships would be a third of America's Navy. So maybe we got like about 100. I, don't quote me. But then China, apparently they've got a program where they are using shipping ships and fishing ships. Basically, the Chinese military somehow is doing drills with the civilian fleet that they have, and which they have the largest in the world by far, apparently. So you want to transport a bunch of soldiers over to Taiwan or something? Well, they've got something like 2,000 fishing ships that are, whatever, have practiced doing that kind of thing already. So that means, you know, the 300 torpedoes or something that America has, you know, it's not going to go very far if you got to take out 2,000 fishing ships. And then which country cares more? You know, does America want to fight a 100-year war over Taiwan? Do we care? Do we love Taiwan so much? Or how about China? Do they care about Taiwan that much? Obviously, China will never, ever stop, ever. You know, China's government gets overthrown. A new Chinese government comes in. They're still going to be fighting. And in fact, if the leader of China feels like his government is under threat, maybe starting a war with China or Taiwan would be the perfect fix to rally the country behind him. I mean, basically, the whole thing sounds like China would just kick our ass. It's because it's 90 miles off their coast. It's basically a part of China. So it'd be like, you know, if China tried to take over Florida, I mean, America would kick their ass. So that's kind of what they said. Um, the thing that's interesting to me, you know, to hear my thoughts, America had a 30-year plan to try and get Russia to attack Ukraine. It finally happened. We were really stoked. But that's different. I mean, Russia is next to Ukraine, which really helps them a lot. But Western Europe is pretty damn close to Ukraine, too, which helps us. So that's not the same with Taiwan. I mean, you know, we don't care if Ukrainians get killed. We don't care if Taiwanese people get killed. That part's the same. But currently, America is trying to do a thing, well, we are doing a thing, where it's like, hey, China, if you're ever going to attack Taiwan, you have to do it in the next 10 years. We're building, like, submarine bases in Australia, etc. So it's kind of like we want China to attack Taiwan, but it doesn't seem like it's that good of an idea. So I don't fully understand what the 
people in charge and the government of America are thinking. It may just be a reflex. You always want more war. You'll figure, you know, you'll figure something. When the war starts, you'll figure it out then. I mean, we wanted Russia to attack Ukraine, but we thought Russia would win that war pretty quickly. I mean, what's going on now is beyond our wildest dreams. Well, I just learned all that stuff that I told you just this week, so I don't have a theory of the case yet, but there, now you know what I know. All right, that's the end of the episode. Links in the description, and thanks for listening.